this, this series that we're in, it's a call from here to there, and it's this Lent journey that we're taking from Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter. And we've talked a little bit about the journeys that you and I are on, uh, that God is taking us on. Sometimes that journey is literally geographical, you know, we move from one place to another. Sometimes it's relational, sometimes it's with your vocation or a family situation. God is taking you from a place of denial to acceptance and all kinds of journeys that we have been on that God has us on even right now in this moment. The beauty of this analogy or this title, this idea, is that you get to thoughtfully reflect on the various things that God is trying to teach you. Because God is always trying to lead us and teach us. He's bringing us to a place of surrender, a place of understanding, a place of discipleship, if you will. He's teaching us along the way to open our hands up and allow our hearts and our minds to just surrender to him. That's, that's our hope and that's our goal. But it also happens in scripture geographically. And so this idea from here to there is really based on the stories of the gospels. Because near the end of the gospels, or at least the last third of most of them, it starts a little earlier in some, Jesus begins making a journey from the region of Galilee way up to the north, all the way down to Jerusalem. And so he's going from here to there, but of course it's metaphorical for him as well because of the things that he's moving toward. When the Gospel of Luke begins to describe this journey, we've shown you a few pictures in different Gospels, but when Luke begins to describe it, it says this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus, what's the word there in the red? Say it with me. Resolutely. Yeah, it's a good word. Uh, set out for Jerusalem. And so he's way up in the northern country, and he, it's, he can't see Jerusalem from where he is, but he has it in mind. And so he, he sets his direction. In fact, one translation says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And of course, we know what that means, that he's got to be looking where he's going. So he is actually kind of looking that direction, even though he can't see the city. But his heart is pointed that direction. So what does it mean then that Jesus was resolutely setting out for Jerusalem? Of course, he's going to the holy city and he knows it's going to bring conflict, but it also means that he is with purpose and with intention moving towards the very thing that God has in mind for him. And this is a, a big deal because there are times in our lives when we know what God wants us to do and we kind of, we're like, I don't pick somebody else, not me, not now. Not this thing. I'm tired. I just did a thing. I need to not be doing a thing. And so we have this perspective, and Jesus reminds us that there comes a moment in time when we know what is in front of us, even if it's not all that enjoyable, or maybe not anything that we would pick or choose on our own. And God says, This is where we're headed. And we say, All right, Lord, I know that you've given me what we need for this journey. I know that we have what we need to have. And I've got the people around me that I need around me. So we turn and face and move. And when we do that, God is with us, of course, as he was when we were hesitating. He was with us then, but he's ready for us to move. And Jesus begins to move. He begins to make his journey. And so when Jesus is doing this, uh, crowds are around him. In fact, um, Luke says it this way just a few chapters later. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he has a few things to say to them. It's an interesting thing when this happens in the Gospels. It feels like that when Jesus has a crowd around him, 
he uses it as an opportunity to thin the crowd. And I don't know why. It seems antithetical, doesn't it? It feels like, aren't you trying to start a movement? Are you trying to do a thing? Are you trying to, you know, launch a church? And, you know, nobody who wants to start a church says, you know what we need? We need three people. No, they say we need a lot of people. It took a lot of people to get us to this place worship-wise and all the things that happened to bring Castle Oaks to this physical address. And we'll celebrate all of that, but Jesus, uh, he thins the crowd. And sometimes he does it by saying something that's confusing, obtuse, just weird, all, you know, just laying it out there. He just says some strange things. And some people scratch their heads and say, I don't get it, and they walk away. This is weird for a rabbi to say. I don't think that made any sense, so I don't want any part of this. There are a lot of people that heard Jesus say weird things and said, you know what, I don't understand that, but I, I'm, I'm with him. I'm with him. And sometimes he would say some things that were just easy to understand, but super hard to follow. But it felt like his intent was to thin the crowd. And he did it many times. Every gospel has a story or two just like that. And he's about to do it again. In fact, this is what he says. He's got a large crowd. They're traveling with him. And he turns to the crowd. And this is what he says. He says a few other things that are even more confusing. But we didn't have time for all that today. But then he says this. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me, what? Cannot be my disciple. Now, you you have to, if you can, just pretend that you don't know anything about the cross, I mean, we have one, you might be wearing one. When Jesus says this, he had not experienced the cross. And so the cross wasn't a thing yet. It, it was a cultural symbol, but not of love and redemption and forgiveness and mercy. It was a cultural symbol of just simply execution of, of death and pain and, and being just in full desolation. When Jesus said this, you know, nobody had used the saying, well, that's just the cross I bear, you know, that nobody, that wasn't a saying yet, because nobody historical, important, nobody who stood at the crossroads of time had experienced the cross. And so when Jesus says this, he's pointing to the thing, nobody's wearing one at the moment, right? He's pointing to This thing that would become iconic for us, would become a piece of jewelry for us. But when he says it, none of that had occurred. And he's telling people, look, it's a a burden. It's it's something you got to carry. And it's going to be difficult for you. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Now, this is important for you to grasp because when we began this series several weeks ago, we started with a verse out of Matthew 11. And we wanted to kind of lay that down as a foundation for some of our thinking in this, in this series. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, um, come to me, all you who are, can you help me with it? Weary and heavy burdened. And he eventually says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is, he does, he says that. And then he says, to a large crowd of people as well, he says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That sounds like, uh, it's a piece of wood, just like a yoke. It sounds like a heavy burden, doesn't it? 
it sounds like it would not be easy. And so Jesus says both. And it ought to be something that keeps you at least mentally on your toes to figure out how both of those can be true at the same time. Because they are. So what does it mean? And maybe it would be helpful if you were to wrestle with and ask this question of yourself and of the other people that you know that follow Jesus and walk along with you. Maybe this is the question. What's been difficult in my efforts to follow Jesus? In other words, when Jesus says this, there's going to be a burden, there's a cross, what's the cross that you have borne? What has been hard about you following in the steps of Jesus? What's been hard about it? What's been difficult about it? And I think for some of us, that's a very hard question to answer because we, we like to keep um, sort of the negativity of what it means to follow Jesus or maybe the hard things about following Jesus, we, we kind of shove those aside and, and kind of buy into the culture of positivity that exists in the Christian world that can be at times debilitating and occasionally toxic. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to carry the cross. And so what has it been for you? I think we resist answering that because it feels, I don't know, we've been forgiven, right? I mean, grace is an amazing, expansive, loving, and so the idea of coming up with, well, this is what's been hard for me, it's just, we don't want to answer it. We had a lot of guests in our home throughout the holidays this past Christmas season, and when they left, you know, they, they said, thank you, thank you so much, you, you've been so hospitable, we're, we're so glad that we were here. I mean, you know, they got their stuff in the car, they're going to leave, and we're on the porch or by the driveway, and, and they say, thank you so much, and I said, well, I'm really glad you're grateful, because your kids are a handful. <laughs> no, I didn't say that, I didn't say that. It's been hard hosting you, let me tell you, when you leave here, we're going to sleep for a week, we're so glad you're gonna, going today. In fact, if you weren't, we were going to kick you out. No, no, I didn't say that. Why didn't I say any of that? Well, it would have been what? It would have been rude. It would have felt rude. But the truth is, you know, the closer we are with the company that comes to stay in our house, the more likely I am to just say, I'll tell you, it's been a deal. Glad you're here. It's good to see you, but we'll be glad when you're gone. And they'll laugh and they'll say, you know, we like being here, but we'll be glad when we get home. Your house is no picnic, you know. And those are good friends, right? Those are people you're close to. Why? Well, politeness is good, and polite society is important. It forms the basis of how we interact with each other. But the closer we are to one another, we've peeled away the veneers of the things that we think should be said, and we say the things that we really think and feel. And if you want, you can keep things polite and distant with God, but what God wants is your heart. What God wants is all of you. And when we come to God and we say, you know what, it's been hard. You know, it's been a cross for me. I mean, Jesus said, I have to bear it. You know, what's been difficult for me is, and you lay it out and you meet God in the middle of that pain or in the middle of that disappointment or fear or guilt or shame. When you do that, God thinks, I believe, now we're getting somewhere. We're past pretending. The politeness is isn't there at front and center and we can be honest and so when you ask this question it's one worth wrestling with and the reason you want to wrestle with it is because and this I say this in love and in kindness and with some years of following Jesus 
if we can't answer this thoughtfully, then we have to maybe wonder if we're not following in Jesus' footsteps anyway, if we've just kind of chosen our own path and called it Christian. Because it is hard. There are some things that are hard about it. What's it been for you? What can you do to answer that question thoughtfully and have a chat with somebody that you walk with relationally? It'd be worth your time to do so. So Jesus says that about carrying the cross and and then Jesus says this. For who among you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. This is, this is connected to that same thought. So Jesus says in one thought, you're, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to carry your, your cross. It, it's a burden of, of death and destruction, and, and it's, it's, it's painful. It's not, it's not an enjoyable piece of the, the deal. And it's almost as if he says, uh, four maybe isn't the best word, but some don't even connect these two verses. And they are right next to each other in Scripture. It's almost as if Jesus says, because, or uh, therefore, or in connection to that, that thought about carrying your cross, he wants you to think about this thought. So they're interlinked in Jesus' teaching there. For who among you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and what? Count the cost to see whether he has the resources to complete it. It's a good version, but I I like this version better, especially for our purposes today. This is the living Bible. He says, but but don't begin. Don't don't start, though. Don't start, though, until until you count the cost. And then he says this, for who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if he has enough money to pay the bills? There are some folks among us that are in this process right now as we consider our future and what it might look like, a partnership with Wellspring and all of these things. And Jesus' words have, have nothing to do, you know this, but of course his analogy does, have nothing to do with building a building, right? It has everything to do with us being thoughtful, resolute, mindful of what we have and what God has called us to do. And so it's a, it's a fitting verse today for our church. And so we are, are really glad that we get to celebrate today. The, the series is from here to there. That, that's a series. But our church has had many historical from here's to theirs over time. You may not know this. Church now, 23 years old. And when the church began, we started meeting initially at the Castle Rock Rec Center. How many of you were there for a service in the Castle Rock Rec Center? Let me see your hands. You were there for at least a few or a couple. Yeah. And we met in the Castle Rock Rec Center for a little while, and then we moved over into Soaring Hawk Elementary. How many of you were there for a service in Soaring Hawk Elementary? Anybody? Ah, the crowd's getting thinner. Yep. Which is interesting. I'm not sure. I'll have to do the math later. And then we went to another facility. All these rentals and and stopovers and places eventually leading us to this destination. But we spent a little time on the other side of Park Street. I don't know if you knew that or not. But this is not the only time that Castle Oaks has had a Park Street address. Uh, If you will go down Park Street on the other side of Wolfensburger. Down the way on the left is a a place called the, the Help and Hope Center. Maybe you're familiar with it. That used to be Castle Oaks Covenant Church for a period of time. 
And then we spent some time in the outlet mall. How many of you have been to the outlets? Let me see your hands. Oh, that's different. How many of you have been to the outlets for church? Let me see your hands. Yeah, yeah. And so we spent some time in the outlet mall. And during that season, God began to do some work. And God had been preparing this body for a lot of things. And our here to there that we're here to celebrate is a little different. It's, it's from the outlets to 826 Park Street today. And so to help us celebrate that, I'm really grateful that we could have um, uh, Pastor Paul Lassard with us who comes. Paul, come on up. Uh, after 10 days of travel, making some special effort to be here with us. Uh, would you welcome Paul to the stage? Thank you. And so, as Paul is here, um, just to give you the historical framework for Castle Oaks, uh, um, Paul was the second pastor of Castle Oaks Covenant Church, uh, the church having three full-time called pastors with some interims in between, of course. Paul was here for about seven years and oversaw uh, the move into a new facility, the first facility that the church ever owned. It was quite a process and quite an ordeal and lots of ups and downs. And if you were around, you remember some of those things. But uh, Paul now works for the the denomination, the ECC, Evangelical Covenant Churches, that we're a part of. And uh, like I said, just came off of 10 days of long travel and made some effort to be here. So thank you for taking your time and, and being with us. I want us to remember about that season in the church's life. And I want to ask you first, what, what do you remember most about that transition, the process of moving from a rented facility to one that we can call our own? What, what do you remember most about that season? When we moved to the mall, uh, we moved from Park Street where there's 14,000 square feet and we moved to 6,000 square feet. And that was the time when I had, uh, came to the church. And so we were living on top of each other, like there was the main worship space and then there was a main classroom. And in that classroom, that was the main space for Christian education and high schoolers. And they were also planting a special needs church out of that, a couple who had uh, come to the community. This is running alongside of of Wellspring. And um, the initial discernment process was, uh, as we looked for a permanent facility, was to actually stay at the mall and get more space at the mall. And uh, it took a long time for them all to return our calls. They were trying to figure out what was going on. And, um, and after that, uh, they said no. And then they destroyed that part of the mall right after, right after we left. <laughs> so there's no place to go back to and celebrate. Yeah. But uh, I won't get into the obstacles at this point. But I want to tell you, 10 years ago on the Sunday here, the first Sunday, the night before, we had met to check the sound system out. And if you've ever been here in an evening... Uh, for Christmas Eve or for an Ash Wednesday service, you know how, uh, what a remarkable space it is. And on, but not everybody came, of course. And on Sunday morning, uh, as we were setting up, and of course now the PA system didn't work, so we're trying to get it to work right. Um, and somebody began to weep out in the entryway. And it was a member of the church, and she said, it's beautiful, it's so beautiful. I didn't think it would be beautiful. And you think about we make these choices and we make them in the context of a particular time and particular resources. And there was such, we were coming out of the Great Recession, right? And so we sought to be fiscally conservative and people saw the Lord calling us but were anxious personally. And so we kept stressing how uh, we were staying within the budget and how we were making everything work financially. Don't worry about it. We weren't going to overspend. And for some people that meant they thought it would be just this spare space that would be hard to worship in. Well, you mentioned hurdles and obstacles. As you remember that process, what were the largest ones that you felt like could 
uh, might be deal breakers? What impair the church moving this direction? So at the time that we were looking for space, uh, Plum Creek was looking for space and Emmaus Road Anglican was looking for space. And we all kind of were at a different size, right? Looking for a different size space. But there wasn't much available in the town. And uh, so sometimes we were looking at the same buildings. What might be the top end for us was kind of the bottom end for Plum Creek, uh, for example, and the same thing with Emmaus Road. And so we would meet with the pastor's program when we were all praying about the space uh, that we needed. And what was interesting... Um, is that a couple of times we identified great space through our realtor and we'd reach out. And a curious thing, and this happened to us twice, that we would reach out and when we made contact saying we were interested in this space, uh, the listing would go away. And then a couple of months later, we'd find out that somebody bought it. And what was happening in that town at that time, that the financial anxiety of coming out of the Great Recession, this is 2011 and 2012, that anxiety was in town and they're actually among some of the business core was a resistance to churches because you can't tax them uh, buying commercial space. And this was a commercial space. All the places we were looking at were commercial spaces. And so what was happening in the background is that people were taking these off the market to reserve it and then it would get sold uh, to commercial. So when we landed here, we knew that there was going to be a parking issue, you know, among other things. But it seemed like the Lord had really provided this space. And I got to tell you that Plum Creek was just ahead of us in the game, right? And so they, uh, when they got their space, they had to kick out Emmaus Road, actually, interestingly enough, to develop that space, which is another story. But um, they started their capital campaign before we did. And it's not uncommon with a capital campaign that you'll tithe on the, the, the gifts that come in and the commitments. And, and the three pastors called me to a lunch meeting from, Cap, from uh, Plum Creek. And they gave me an envelope. And at that time, there was a pastor in town who used to give $100 to pastors randomly. He'd walk in, here's $100, take your bride or take your, you know, uh, to, to supper, you know, treat her well kind of thing. Um, because he didn't believe in women in ministry. I'm starting to digress, I realize here. So. <laughs> but this story goes somewhere. So these guys, they hand me this envelope, and I think, oh, great, I'll be able to take Rebecca to supper. And they say, open it. Open it was $17,000. And so Plum Creek tithed to us because we were just starting our capital campaign and we began that uh, uh, the campaign with that. That's incredible. That's incredible. Now, more, more about the women part, though. Go back to... <laughs> so when you moved into this space, and, and the folks may not know uh, that, that this, uh, when we purchased it, was a, a Sears facility. It was more like a rural Sears facility. They did a lot of... A lot of repair, a lot of lawnmowers on this end of the building. It, it didn't look anything like it looks right now. And, and at one time prior to that, they sold uh, motorcycles out of this facility. It was a showroom and um, very different. You'll see a few construction photos before we wrap up. Um, but what were you most thankful for when you moved into the finished, completed facility? I think, practically speaking, we were most thankful for dedicated uh, youth ministry space. Because they've been living on top of each other, and, and place is important, right? And space, and to have a space that you call your own is very important, whether you own it or not, at least that it's permanent space. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that was unexpected, like we, this building was, was designed, um, the plan for uh, the retrofit was designed by a member of the congregation who was an architect who had these... Um, Ascetic sensibilities, and he, uh, perfect pitch, like this wonderful musician. 
And we had members of the congregation as well who just have these gifts, right, in terms of colors and design and all that kind of stuff. In the original plan, there was actually supposed to be a small water wall on the, uh, out there when you first come in for peace and quiet and tranquility. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, obviously got the axe. But these panels on the side you see up here, they're designed so it reflects your voice back so when we sing you can hear the congregation, not just the band. All that to say what we didn't know, even though all that attention was given, and it was beautiful, given relative to what it had been, that unexpectedly, uh, it became a thin place. Like the Celts, you know, Ireland, the Celts back in the day, they talked about there's these places. Through the Holy Spirit, God is available to us all the time, everywhere, 24-7. But there are these places where it seems that God can be more readily apprehended. And unbeknownst to us, the Lord had helped us uh, create a thin place where even in the day when no one is in here, there's something about this space where people meet uh, the Spirit of God. They seem more likely to hear or more open to the Lord's movement. And so because of that, right, um, physical hearings, spiritual hearings, healings, I mean, people coming to faith, all these things. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, before the building uh, process began, the capital campaign, all that, Paul had a, a full head of blonde hair and um and this is what it looked like after the campaign it was all these were generous people so it was only partly gray yeah. partly gray. That's good. Yeah. and so after you inhabited the the space and the building and lived in it for a bit um while you maintained i'm certain a grateful heart for god's provision what did you feel like was missing uh we needed to have put in better bass bins for a better bass sound on a Sunday morning. Come on, people, are you with me here? Can I get a witness? Yeah. Uh, one of the things, actually, in terms of the space on a Sunday morning is because we're so close, it was difficult to call people forward for prayer. And so there are things that, interestingly, we had done in other spaces around healing and prayer chairs and coming to the table and things like that that made it hard because people are right there. There, there wasn't the privacy. And then I think... As we developed out, uh, we realized that we didn't have a medium-sized worship space, I mean, relative to this. And so it was kind of this or nothing. And that wasn't just about when there's many people in the building, but sometimes you want a space that feels good for like 50 people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I should add, though, the town of Castle Rock uh, doesn't require uh, American Disability Act when you retrofit like this and with the two levels. And so everything was in here was a decision that came out of of uh, being connected to Wellspring. So to put in the elevator, which is one of the few elevators in town, and on that first Sunday, the kids just went up and down, up and down, up and down, and the automatic stuff on the door. So our story is very much by influenced both by that church plant that was happening at that time, but also by Wellspring, as we got a sense of who we were called to be collectively, not just a ministry too, but who were we all together, more like the, the body of Christ. That's beautiful. That's incredible. And so you mentioned the gift from the churches. You, you talked about some of the financial generosity of the body. What else occurred through that process in your memory that made it very clear that God's hand was on this, this church body? Yeah, a couple of things. And, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting, right? And many of us have been in churches before, and we, we, a new project comes down the line, for lack of a better term, whether it's a ministry thing or a building or whatever, and it calls us together. If it's done well, if we've discerned wisely, even if I might have personal anxiety, I can see how the Lord's at work, and so I'm going to put my stuff aside, and together we're better, right? 
and we, and we focus for the season. And of course, the challenge is after that focus, after you get into the building, after that ministry is launched, uh, can we live into that in a way and still live in a version of our better selves? So it very much uh, called people together, uh, new friendships were made. One of the interesting things, and I think we feel it yet today, um, is that because Wellspring was here from the start, early on we realized that Wellspring was going to be a part of at least our journey then, and they thought they might only be here for a couple of years, you know, and help with the rent, and, and we designed together. We didn't know how long it would go. But it made the people at Castle Oaks a more pragmatic people and a less possessive people. So sometimes we build something and, and we, we own it too much, right? Like, this is mine, this is... You can't do that in here. And we start to make all these rules. And it's like, who makes all these rules? And why are they necessary? And, uh, and right from the start, because we knew this building was going to be used 24-7, and that we were stewards, co-stewards of it, I think it made us uh, much more open-handed, which continues to this day. And continues under your leadership. For what I am very grateful, by the way, I need to say. So. Well, we stand on your shoulders yeah. and Herb's shoulders as well, and yeah. we're incredibly grateful. So before we're done uh, chatting, it would be uh, our mistake if we didn't hear from you on this. Uh, you were at a crossroads as the church is trying to find a place to worship. You had to manage and lead through a dynamic time, very much like the time that we're in right now as a church. As we are considering and pondering and praying and wondering and uh, discerning about a partnership with Wellspring what wisdom would you want us to consider and be thoughtful of as we go through that discernment, thoughtful planning process? Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's wisdom. And I would say uh, what the, continues to characterize this church, which characterized the church at that time, which is strong, excellent leadership, leaders that had done huge things, right, and real leaders of faith, even if their own personal situation had changed dramatically negatively because of the downturn in the economy. And we have those leaders now. I think what's interesting, uh, is, so in the Covenant Church in general, like we have 880 churches, okay, I oversee church planning and church health. And there are lots of churches trying to figure out what's next, particularly coming out of COVID, because a lot of the things that have been reliable and predictable are gone. And uh, the recipes are gone, where if I do this and do this, it'll equal this. Uh, those days are gone, right? So it makes discernment that much harder, as you know. And and I've appreciated the length of, and the kind of discernment that uh, we've been doing at Castle Oaks over these last couple of years. But John, um, when John writes a letter to the church, First uh, John, and he's pastor of Ephesus, and Ephesus, the most famous uh, attender on Sunday morning, is Jesus' mom, uh, Mary. And that church is planted by uh, Paul, right? So it has good roots. And at the time in which he writes, which is towards the end of the first century, and John is an old man, and uh, a lot of people have left the church. In fact, they think that more people have left the church than stayed and they're following different false philosophies, right? And John writes, and he says, now, he says, now we know we're children of God, but we don't know yet who we're going to be. But we know that when we see Christ, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Mm. And, and it's this remarkable statement that says, now, there's no question about our identity. We're children of God. End of statement, right? That should be all we need. We're children of God. And he said, and the end of this we know is certain too because we will finally be with our Savior and be like him in all the ways that that means. But he said, in between, it's not yet clear. It's not yet apparent who we're to become. And John is saying to his church, and that's where we live. We, 
John lived there then, he's saying, and we're lived there now. It's not yet clear who will become. But then where John goes in his letter, he says, there's two things. He says, uh, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that knoweth God, you know, loveth God, knoweth God. And in John's letter, he says two things. He says, love Jesus more and continue to love uh, one another. And those words, as we seek to discern to be wise, because one of the things that I see in my work is churches that are failing, if you will, that failure to thrive or they've turned inside. Interestingly enough, uh, they have, uh, and we know this from metrics that we use, um, their love for Jesus has actually gone down. At the center of their life increasingly becomes themselves and their concerns and their fears or maybe even their joys, but less and less Christ uh, is centered. So, uh, and I would uh, say my greatest, my most joyful years of ministry were in this church for those seven and a half years. And uh, when you came, there was a wonderful joy that came in your leadership. And I want to affirm that and saying that it's wonderful that Rebecca and I can still be a part of uh, Castle Oaks in this next season. We're thankful that you're here. Those are good words. We'll take those to heart. Would you do me a favor and thank Paul for being here? So grateful for both of you and the legacy that uh, we are a part of now and that you still get to be a part of. What a, what a blessing that is. When this journey began for the church to move into this facility, it began with this meeting right here. Um, such a great picture. I love this picture for a lot of reasons, but Larry Lawson and Mark Welly are signing the documents to uh, uh, bring about the mortgage that we're still paying on, by the way. Um, <laughs> And some of you are thinking, I see Larry, but where's Mark Welly? And uh, this is before Mark Welly had a, a life-saving surgery. And he is right back here with his permission. I can tell you that this process for him, uh, while our debt went like this, uh, Mark Welly was doing this. And so he went from 440 pounds to 185 pounds. And uh, we're so glad that, uh, that you're alive and with us today and that you are a part of what happened then. That's how it began. And of course, the building did not look like this. It went through an incredible construction project. And in this wall over here and a few other places as well, if we were to pull some drywall off the wall, we would find the written prayers of people that came, some of them in, their, in this room, that's Larry Lawson right there. That's Paul, you can see, he's not even a bit gray. Um, <laughs> He's not blonde either. I just made that part up. But, um, but these prayers and these verses of what this body would become in this community are tucked in the architecture, literally. And so they exist. And I, I debated uh, cutting a little hole and pulling a few out, but I have done enough drywall at my house I didn't want to do anymore. Um, and so this, this is the room that we're in right now. Uh, of course, when it was a Sears, it didn't have a cross that was a part of the architecture, but it does now. And it stands above to let people know why we're here. This, uh, so that's a little, little inside Castle Oaks, if, if you don't mind. Uh, these are the Ingleson boys, and they were in here a bit ago. Uh, they, it, it's, it's, it's startling. They have changed a lot, and not at all. I mean, you, even if you've been around the Ingleson boys just for a moment, you would say, well, that, that, that's the Ingleson boys. 
and I, and I have this picture. I want one more I'll show you in just a second to remind you of the longevity of this body and the seasons that have been weathered by the people that call this place home. So that, that's a couple of them. Here's a couple more. Um, these are the Nicholas kids. Um, that's Kate right there just being held like a little football. And... Um, and when those two boys, and of course Kate, Kate's running around as well, when these two boys are around working the booth and playing bass, um, tall as can be, and driving their own cars around and taking care of business and high school and thinking about college. Now, it reminds me of the legacy that we are stewards to, uh, what started before we were here. Uh, this is the first weekend of services, people in the lobby and people enjoying worship in this very space for the very first time. That's not the Sunday. That's the Saturday night preview service that, um, as they were trying to make sure all the equipment was working. So today we'll have some cake. And today we'll celebrate a milestone. And we remember, and at the same time we will look forward. And as Jesus begins to make his way towards Jerusalem and he says, but don't begin until you count the cost, then we too will count the cost. And understand this, this, this day is about God's faithfulness and about our willingness to step into that faithfulness. It's not about what it cost us to build a building, although there were many people that sacrificed so that we could be in this very space. It is about the cost that we're willing to pay as we follow Jesus. Of course, carrying our cross is difficult. Of course, God's mercy is sufficient. Of course, his grace sustains us. But of course, there is a cost to all of it. And we engage in that, not by burden and not by obligation. It comes from a place of love. It is God's kindness that leads us to places of obedience and surrender. But as we do that today, let us remember that some who have come before us have paid the path that we're walking on today. And when the time is right, it'll be time for us to pave a path for others that will come behind us fruit that we may never see, fruit that we may never witness with our own eyes, but knowing that we stand in a chain of people reaching back and reaching forward at the same time. And so we're grateful. We're grateful. Let's pray. Lord, today as we celebrate in just a moment, enjoy some cake, enjoy fellowship, a few stories, enjoy being in the presence of a building that you allowed for it to become ours. Lord, our prayer and our hope is that we would have hearts that are grateful for those that have come before us. And as we celebrate today, may we also recognize that as we follow you, it is indeed a narrow road. There is a cross to be carried. There is a cost to be paid. And we willingly do so. So Lord, walk with us this day. Help us to seek you. Help us to turn our hearts towards you. Would you soften us and make us willing? Give us generous hearts full of love for the people around us as we see your presence in this place. Lord, we ask this in the name of Jesus. We all say, as one church body, we say it together, amen.